May 28th, 2023. We're continuing in Mesilat Yesharim. We're up to today, Perek Tetvav. Before starting Perek Tetvav, though, let's just quickly remember one aspect of Perek Yodalid and that aspect which will return at the end of this chapter as well. And that was, as we're talking about Perishut, as we're talking about abstaining, separating, uh, in the physical sense, we've talked about it, in the character sense, in the uh, lawful sense, and so forth, what Mesilati Shari mentioned once or twice already, and again, he will in Perek Tetvav, is this concept of hitbodedut, of a separation with regards to social proximity, that you separate yourself from the gathering, that you separate yourself from the community. At the end of Perek Yodalit, he was very clear with regards to this. He said, but at the same time, there has to be a social involvement. If there's not a social involvement, well, uh, you, risk the, uh, you risk the direction of losing uh, a true identity, an identity our words, an identity is born oftentimes by bouncing off your ideas uh, against others, by realizing what you're not, by understanding what those around you portray and in turn whether you want to internalize that or not. Furthermore, he cited from the Gemara and and elsewhere where the rabbis understand Bad bevad, and a person who's studying individually, in such a circumstance, so to speak, the rabbis, based on the Navi, are saying uh, he's deservant of death. Studying Torah, understanding the world, understanding God on your own is oftentimes detrimental. At the same time, that bad, that individuality, and we talked about in different circumstances where the Torah has it, Moshe uh, Har Sinai, the Mesorah, Am Yisrael, Leil Shimurim, and others, is very much appropriate. It comes to the fore, in my mind, uh, in Halakha books, in, uh, in Be'ur Halakha, that's of course written by Mishnah Berurah, it's Siman Taf Kof Ayin Aleph. It's over here, he's talking about me, him, ha'chot'im, le'shev b'ta'ani, two other individuals, says Shohan who are appropriate based on their sins, and circumstances communally uh, that they should be fasting. And in Sa'if Bet, he writes, Tamid Hacham, Enorashay Leshev Betanit. Shohan Aruch writes, even in circumstances where there's difficulty, if you're a scholar, if a person who's immersed in Torah, you shouldn't be um, sitting in uh, while fasting. You shouldn't be immersed in uh, the difficulties of abstaining from food and drink. Mipene, Shemimaet Bimelechet Shamaim. In such a circumstance, you'd be taking away from your melechet shamayim, your service, your worship of, of heavens, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is diminished. Okay, he goes on to deal with the, and deliberate uh, with regards to the particularities. But Be'ur Halacha, again, of course, written by the same author of Mishnah Biran, Havet Haim. He writes over here, he writes, Vera'iti lahatik po mashikatav hashalah b'shem sefer haridim v'zeleshono. He's citing from Shalah HaKadosh, Rabbi Yeshaya HaLevi Horowitz, who in turn is quoting from Sefer Haredim, who in turn, we'll see in a second, is quoting from Arizal, Rabbi Yishak Luria. Shemasa betoch sifre ha-mekubal ha-eloki, hasida kadisha harav rabenu Yitzhak Luria Ashkenazi, besefer ehad ketibat yad. Here's the citation from something written ketab yad, not published from Arizal. All that you'll find in the words of the earlier and later rabbinic literature with regards to sigufim. The sagif means to torture, means to afflict yourself. And you'll find in a lot of Hasideh uh, Ashkenaz, some 900, 800 years ago literature of uh, rabbinic thoughts, you'll find concepts in Rokeah and Biudah Hasid, sigufim. Uh, torture, uh, affliction, uh, taking away any uh, involvement with 
uh, pleasurable living. Lo nizkeru, all of that was specifically mentioned, for a person who's not engaged in Talmud Torah seriously. Umanuto, now he is talking about the extreme, a person who's Torato Umanuto, the Gemara refers to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai Haverav as Toratam Umanutam. Generally speaking, Torato Umanuto is not a reality that's very relevant to us today or even ever. It's individuals who are really strictly and, and, and specifically, singularly focused on Talmud Torah. But the concept, even if it's not as practical, that, that it comes out of here is important. That person shouldn't bring themselves to being having less strength, which in turn would distract them from Torah. Again, Shohan Aruch wasn't extending it that far. Uh, Shohan Aruch was stating it even as a person who's Osek by Torah. We mentioned a few weeks ago in this context how Hacham Ovadia Yosef writes similarly about selichot for an individual who's studying Torah. Selichot, which is important, selichot, which throughout Elul is a petition that we have, a minhag, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to forgive us during that time period. If a person is immersed in Torah, if a person has serious dedications to Torah, which will be disturbed by the selichot, Hacham Ovadia, basing himself on many sources, including these, says it's appropriate to do away and not commit yourself to silihot if it's going to take away from the Torah. But here's the critical part of our discussion. <laughs> but however, one day min hashabua of the week, even though this person is engaged in Talmud Torah in a regular social atmosphere, let them find a day during the week to separate, to speak, so to speak to uh, think and connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And as a result, the mind will become attached and entangled in these sorts of thoughts as if he's standing on Judgment Day. And to be able to, specifically through the Hitbodedut, um, be able to attach yourself through a conversation with God as if he's your king in a real sense or a child to his father. It means that Be'ur Halacha, much like Misilat Yisharim, much as we've been discussing and, and, and expanding upon, expounding upon, his, his vision with regards to Hitbodidut is not per se that this is a lifestyle in a constant sense. There needs to be a social involvement for optimal growth. But to carve out that time, to find the opportunities for singular thought, for a solitary um, engagement, for conversation, so to speak, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, well, any person who's searching and seeking real growth knows that they need to have it. I mentioned, and I'll mention it again, how Rav Volbe instructed myself and my friends when we met with him at the end of his life, that even if we're studying as we should, Musa, with a Hevruta, with a study partner, there should still be, I think he said, a half an hour to an hour a week to study it individually, to let your own thoughts and your own personality and identity flow forth as opposed to specifically and only vis-a-vis -vis another. Okay, but in Perek Tetvav, in continuing and really concluding this conversation with regards to Perishut, Mishzilat Yesharim tells us he's going to talk about Bedarke Kenyata Perishut. Liknot, a Kenyan, is an acquisition. How does it become a part of you? So Perishut, we've talked about its aspects. We've talked about the way that it manifests itself. But how does a person bring themselves to that? talked about the difference between these two concepts in the past 
on more than one occasion. For example, how Harambam, when he's talking at the beginning of Sefer Hamadan, says, if you want to come to Ahavat Hashem, here's what you should do. That's like Darkei Keniyah, right? So he's describing going out and seeing the world and appreciating it and being filled with that appreciation. But what is Ahavat Hashem? So interestingly, Mesilat Yishanim had the opposite order. At the end of Sefer Hamadan, Hilchot Teshubah, Harambam says, what is Ahavat Hashem? It's a circumstance where a person has constant thought on Borei Olam, and they come to the state of being like a person who's love-stricken, that they can't take him off their mind or her off their mind in the love-stricken circumstance. Uh, but over here, so what he talked about already was, well, what happens when you become a parush? And now he stops and he says, but wait a second, how would you bring yourself to that pity shoot? So that's the, that's the purpose and that's the trajectory of this perik. This is no surprise if you've been following Misilat Yesharim until now. This has been somewhat of a motif. He's mentioned it more than once that sometimes or oftentimes the proper direction to coming to an appropriate thought and perspective is to realize how you're surrounded and enveloped by matters which if you take a step back are false, are wrong. And so he says, look into the look at the detrimental side of pleasures in this world. And their lowliness. In and of themselves, separate, as we've talked about in the past, what comes from overindulgence or wrongful involvement. I think in and of itself, what is the engagement, the involvement in the ta'anug? Uh, the second part is and then focus on all that might come forth from it. So it means the activity in and of itself with regards to the hedonistic pleasurable drives in this world is detrimental, is negative. Uh, but then you can expand that, let's first notice that, and realize how it will then affect you and the consequences in a negative way. Says if you take a step back and understand, again, what he's describing over here is how um, a step before, in other words, the, the, it would seem to me that the natural um, um, realization or thought that a person would have is uh, the reason I'm drawn to X, Y, and Z is because of the way it feels, is because of the way it makes me as a result of. Uh, it starts before that. It's not, only the, it's not only the circumstance which births that, which as a result I'm drawn to it. As you might say, I'm drawn to, we are innately drawn to X, Y, and Z because when we're involved in X, Y, and Z, we're left feeling. He says it's before that. It's the perspective with regards to X, Y, and Z. I'm able to find what X, Y, and Z is. Ma'achalim tovim, biot, and so on and so forth. He says, but just understand that it's all set in your eyes. And he means that someone in a literal sense. who pitui ha'enayim. Eyes are the sense on our body which give us an appreciation or an understanding of that which lies outside of us. Each of the other senses could be, if we didn't have eyes which saw outside of us, 
defined and understood as something internal. I might say that it's just something that I'm smelling because there's something in me. Eyes are that passageway, so to speak, at least psychologically speaking, to an outside world. Eyes, in turn, as he's going to put them as our paradigm, will stand as the example of a perspective. They'll stand as the example of understanding of the nature. I mean, in truth, we talk about it in Hebrew, ayun means to look into something at greater depth. Ayun milashon ayin, that's eyes. Uh, you're supposed to look into, to look into man. I mean, we say it in English as well. Do you, you see what I'm saying, right? In other words, sight will oftentimes designate a perspective. Um, sight oftentimes will define for us what the world around us is. You need to look no further than Parashat Shelach, which is filled with the sight of the Miragelim, of the Tarim Ta'aret. What is it that they see? What is it that they're purposed to see? And then the final lines of Parashat Shelach is the Parashat Sisit of Velotaturu Aharel Vachem Vachare Enechem Asheratem Zonim Aharehem. The vision, Item Oto Uzchartem et Komswatam Abazitem Otam. Eyes, in the eyes of the Torah, no pun intended, eyes are the vehicle for perspective, for understanding. And before you focus on the vanities of well, what comes from engagement in that activity? Begin to understand what was the purpose, what was the value of that activity in and of itself. You don't need to base something based on only um, what will come from it. Focus on what it is. Is there something positive? Is there something of value to this experience in and of itself? That's what he's describing. Our eyes mislead us, our perspective misleads us, and he cites as a result, The vision, the perspective of Hava is that this is Ta'ava, this is Nehmat, this is something positive. It doesn't say she realized she'd feel good from it. It doesn't say that she understood that this will leave her in a state of being greater than she's in right now. It's the eyes in the initial perspective. It's the initial sight of it which leads her wrong. That's what Mesilat Yishalim is developing over here. It's the initial stage, it's the perspective, it's the thoughts, the innate thoughts, but uh, how do you craft those? So, how do you fine tune those guys? I mean, when you think of like the Mesilat Bifato Arda, so there is something beautiful there that you are supposed to engage, but there are barriers of how you engage in it, and you, th- there are steps you have to take to see is it viable, is it something that's real there. So I, I, I do think there is stuff that, there is beauty out there, you have to look, but there are proper measures. No question. To... This is not negate, this is not preaching, at least here, yeah. uh, an ascetic lifestyle. <laughs> this is not saying be mitboded and uh, remove yourself from natural beauty. It is saying that the beauty which is in your eyes, and it's not even the beauty per se, it's the value. It's the, um, it's the positive uh, that you need to check, that you yeah. need to determine. Again, he points to the words of Hava, which for some are overlooked. For me, it's overly emphasized. The words of the Torah with regards to the sin, which is in the eyes of Mesilat Yisharim, it appears in many <laughs> others. The source of all other sins are, it begins not with eating. It begins not with a defiance per se. It begins with, <laughs> It's very telling. 
The Torah does not say, and she defiantly took and gave to her husband and ate. No, what the Torah says, she looks. Now again, we've focused in the past on the fact that she sees good as opposed to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the creation of the world, Vayare Elohim Kitob, right? Vayare Elohim Kitob, and she is Vatere Kitob. So it's a direct defiance, that's very important. But let's take a step back and just notice the Torah focuses less on or equally on her initial perspective as the final action. And that's what Ms. Shem is very much focused on. We're talking about the initial perspective. Refine your initial perspective. That's what brought you to detriment. That's what gave you a skewed vision and perspective on what's taking place because you didn't have a refined vision to begin with. I guess all like just the main commandments like coveting and all these things obviously is going to come from the eyes. But by extension, so is everything else. Over there you're talking about a physical side. I see something else and I want it. But here, I'm thinking about engaging in activity A through Z which ones are proper, which ones are wrong. So my eyes have this misleading, which means my mind, which means my perspective, this misleading approach for me to say, this is positive. Just in and of itself, stop there. Determine, scale, weigh, decide whether this is positive or not. Do you understand what I'm saying? In the physical sense, if I see something and I want it, okay, that we've talked about, and so on and so forth. But over here, it's, it's before that. Any activity, any quote-unquote power of gray activity, well, what is it? And that's vatera ishakitobayetzlamaachal. Over there, obviously, it's an objectively, because this is a sivuy of God, it's an objectively negative one. But the Torah specifies, even over there, it began with her wrong perspective. That's it. Aval when a person clarifies and it becomes clear to them that that seeming tov, the positive that appears to exist within that activity, is kozev legamre, it's false, it's baseless, midumet, it's, it's imaginative, ubelishum ha'amada nechona, it has no real grounding, it has no real foundation. Veharabo amitio karov lehivalev menu be'emet, and it's either objectively and in essence negative, or alternatively, it will bring to negative. It's certain that a person with the proper perspective will turn away from it. They'll be disgusted. It in turn is. The, uh, the direction, the trajectory of a person searching for perishut to train themselves with regards to appropriate perspective. Perspective will in turn uh, bring a person to natural inclinations, to the positive as opposed to the negative. Hine, he gives one or two examples, specifically ochil. Ochil, food in all respects, is uh, the litmus test oftentimes in the eyes of Misilati Sharim and others for a person who has come to a state of being where they have an appropriate perspective. If you want to look for the best real-time, real-world example for something which is uh, through and through vain, uh, filled with, uh, with, with falsity with regards to uh, its, uh, its value inherently, uh, so look at something like food, he says, where it's lost 
the the experience is is lost and vanishes a moment after the food is consumed. What's the measurement of 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 enjoyment of food? It's while it goes down into your system. Once it gets ingested, once it becomes digested, there's no longer any remnant. Uh, there's no memory of even that experience. And a person will be satiated in an identical way in the aftermath of eating, whether they ate fine foods or indulging uh, uh, pleasurable foods or, or foods that are simple in, in terms of their... Uh, the, the social uh, determination. Assuming that you ate the amount that will satiate you. And again, Joey, it's not saying to eat disgusting foods. It is, and it's not saying not to eat good foods either. It is saying to scale and to determine what's the value of this over that. Health, be- uh, health benefits and detriments certainly included. Uh, beyond that, expenditures included. And it was, uh, the time wasted and, 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 and consumed with regards to each of these. That's all needs to be taken into account. Not to say that there won't be. It's too simplistic to say there won't be ever in the fine foods, in the fancy circumstances, something positive or an appreciation. But that needs to be a calculation. Mm-hmm. Here he talks about the, the health benefits or detriments, of course, of foods. Uh, the halaim harabim because of eating uh, what, what can be born negatively from it. And the, the weight, the... Um, the, uh, the 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 sloth, the um, the, the slow uh, approach to life after a person is filled, the way their mind gets uh, almost filled with ashan, with the, the, it gets fogged up after a good meal, you can't focus appropriately. Think about those detriments. Take that into account with regards to who you want to be and where you want to be uh, to a certain extent or to a full extent at all times. Uh, one of my rabbis, Rabbi Chaim Ilson, should live and be well, used to, uh, in a yeshiva of young men who were not eating very much uh, in terms of uh, indulgence, but certainly weren't focused on health benefits or detriments with regards to foods. He would, and, and he was a very straight, black and white individual with regards to his Torah and his way of life. But he would give, early on in your first year in the yeshiva, he would give a, a va'ad, he would give a small shmuz, and in it he would speak about, and he spoke about it with fire in his eyes, and I see it, like it was yesterday, not that it was so long ago, but some 20 years ago, he would talk about, he would enumerate on his hands, one after another, he would talk about cancer and diabetes and so on and so forth, go through all the illnesses and sicknesses. I have a doctor in the room, so I'm a little bit nervous saying this, but he would say, and he had and does read much of the medical advancements in his own way, and he would say, much of these are caused by, of course, two, and he knew that and he explained that, too simplistic to say all in the full sense, but he says to avoid these, to prevent these as much as you can, so eat healthily. He says, what, what's preventing you? What's that? Uh, how could he not be right? He says, look at the studies, look at the people, look and understand to keep healthy, to eat healthily. He said, we just overlook something which is so simple, which is so in front of us. Aside from obviously mitzvah ta'aseh and possibly a mitzvah lo ta'aseh from the Torah with regards to keeping healthy. I'm mean, just, I think about your own life. Don't you want to preserve your life? And that's what Misilat Dishanim is in three lines uh, articulating as well. He's not turning to a uh, to mitzvah per se. He says, who wants to have a life in which they can't focus because of food? 
because certainly you'll be left with nothing good and only uh, only negative. Again, he's 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 speaking extremely in this respect, but he's speaking generally. He says, and so to all the other pleasures that exist in our lives in this world. How long, if you're going to be rational about this, will you derive pleasure? Will you have a positive experience versus the detriments, the negative, the outcome, the consequences, which will be uh, only uh, only evil and bad for you? As a result, nobody who has a straight working mind, nobody will able to... Um, be able to positively state in any way, shape, or form, this is a proper lifestyle because you won't be able to articulate the sentence. The more a person conditions themselves along this path, the more a person acts in such a fashion, the more they'll break out of what he calls ma'asar uh, ha-sikhlut, the, uh, the cage, the uh, prison of, of silliness, of not thinking straightly. Which the darkness uh, envelops you with regards to the physical drives that we have. As yimas bahem, you'll even come to being disgusted by them. Vieda, and again, it's it's clear to me, although he's not articulating it, that he'll, he'll maybe articulate a little bit at the end when we'll talk about every person according to where their standing is and so forth. He's not searching for, and he's told us this, Misilat Yesharim Ramchal did in the past, for an absolute ascetic lifestyle, run away from any involvement, don't engage in the world in a pleasurable fashion. He is saying to do it mindfully. He is making clear to us, as you do so, well, decide why is this positive? What is it that I'm deriving from this? How does this grow me? That which is necessary, you should be taking. Each person has to determine that. The same way that a person who focuses on this, who thinks about this, will in turn acquire perishut. Perishut is what we've been talking about, the separation from the unnecessary, the uh, distinction from the... Um, from the excesses. Of course, the opposite will bring you down. The opposite meaning the indulgence. The overindulgence will skew your mind to, this, to the extent that you won't be able to think clearly any longer. person who's involved in social atmospheres, which are negative social atmospheres, which, uh, which put on, the, uh, on an upper pedestal opulence, wealth, and flashy fanciness, uh, in turn, that person will be drawn in, their perspective will be clouded, uh, their vision will be skewed. Even if the person is uh, is able to overcome person certainly has put themselves in a situation where it's difficult, they're constantly having to overcome. Pasuk in Kohelet, where Shalomo says,
to a certain extent, to a large extent, it's greater to go to a bit evil, to a mourning home, than to a uh, festive party. Why so? Because at least in one of them, or certainly in one of them, in the Beit Evil, there's proper perspective, there's focus, there's direction. Whereas in the Beit Mishte, there's anything but that, on a, in a general sense. There's levity, there's, uh, there's loss of direction, there's inability to, to concretize our perspective. And as we began the class, I told you, Mesilat Yishayim will conclude this Perek by talking about Hitbodetut, Ki kemo shemesin me'inav inyane ha'olam. The same way, from your eyes, from your perspective, you've removed certain realities of this world. Ken ma'avir hemdatam milibo, so too, from your mind and heart, you'll be able to do so. Kvar hizkir David ha'melech alav ha'shalom v'sheva hitbodetut ve'amar, mi iten li ever kayona, hene archik nedod alin bamidbar sela, pasuk in tehilim, pesukim in tehilim, which describe how David would love to, like a dove, fly away. Hanevi'im Eliyahu ve'elisha' masanu heyotam yahadim mekomama al heharim mipene hitbodetutam. Eliyahu and Elisha' found places uh, separate from humanity, separate from the social and communal atmosphere, so that they could find hitbodedut, so that they would identify with themselves separate from others, defining themselves by who they are as opposed to the other. Says even the Hachamim, the Hasidim Harishonim, it's referring to it seems like all the way back, Tanaim and Moraim, they too needed to and found appropriate for themselves to have Hitboninut. Now again, just to, to, to mention one last time with regards to Hitboninut, Hitboninut need not mean an absolute separation from a regular social encounter. A person can be a Bodet while being a part of a larger gathering and group. A person can, in their own way now, so oftentimes it'll need a certain proximity change, a certain social separation for a period of time. But a person can live together while at the same time separate. The person can and should, I think the Torah instructs us, the Nazir is not our paradigm of an individual who breaks off of the regular norms. Uh, the, the Torah, throughout Sefer Bid Midbar, but throughout, it describes Abraham Avinu was a person who was engaged with people at all times, inviting others in and searching for others. At the same time, he was a Bodeh. At the same time, he was a person who found opportunity to go out and look at the stars at night, who had prophetic inspiration, who did search and seek for truth in ways that were separate than the ways of the people who surrounded him. But it doesn't mean, it very clearly is not, a call for a hermetic lifestyle from one which a person separates themselves and goes and lives only in the desert. And the final and clear warning is that a person not very clearly we have to warn at the conclusion we talked about it at the beginning as well is sta- stages and steps if a person believes that they'll jump from one extreme to the other they will only fall you and I in our own lives need to determine what's a appropriate what's a proper for us today Tomorrow will in some way broaden it, and the next day it may be a bit more. 
but uh, jumping from one extreme to the other, deciding this is how I've lived until now, we're now going to throw that all out, is going to only bring failure. We know that psychologically, we know it emotionally, we know it as human beings. We can't jump from extremes in a successful fashion ever. If you want to come become conditioned to this, and that's what we've been talking about throughout. It's about a consciousness, it's about a perspective shift. And that's going to only take effect when it's done incrementally. If it's done in quick, successive jumps, it won't bring forth anything innate or natural. Bring about something artificial, which will be lost over the course of a quick period of time. By doing this slowly and in incremental steps, a person will have it, if they do it right, have it become part of their own teva, their second nature. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen.